ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we have a topic today that is near and dear to my heart. It is about raising money to support your company, your idea, uh, and really how to pitch your business and secure investors. And the book is called The Pitch Deck Book. And our guest today is the author, Tim Cooley. Tim, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you and your, your, your following. Well, Tim, you know, you and I came across uh, one another in a group that was put together by one of my colleagues from Salt Lake City, and it has been great fun to listen. It's a lot of early stage uh, tech uh, CEOs and founders, and it has been really fun to watch the different things that have, have gone around. And probably the most impactful was when people started sharing their pitch decks and, you know, immediately they said, you know what, you need to talk to Tim Cooley. So, <laughs> you know, I thought I am at the place where I am just about to resurrect my fundraising efforts and, you know, have done an awful lot of work on, on my pitch. So uh, I need this show personally as, as a listener, right. As well as being the one who gets uh, the opportunity to question you, but before yeah, totally. we, before we dive into the book, Tim, you know, our listeners always want to know about your backstory. Why are you here? Why this book? Why now? Who is, is the right audience for your book? And why should they care? Yeah, totally. So I'll go back a little bit. Um, when I got out of high school, I joined the Marine Corps and I used to build jet engines. And during that time frame, I became almost an operations guy without the knowledge of what an operations person was. <laughs> Didn't know what I was going to do. Um, ended up getting into the athletic training space. I uh, got a master's in sports medicine, which took me down the world of, you know, I worked with the uh, University of Arizona, University of Utah, and the 49ers. And so I had a lot of great experiences in that, and I just wasn't happy. And um, I ended up reading the book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I don't really like. But what it did for me was, it was like, man, you're fixing all of these these processes for people around the world, you know, like maybe you can fix something in your life and then maybe other people will buy it. And so I started my first company. It was called Cooley Fitness. And um, the whole goal, it's, it was very similar to what Peloton is today. Um, but back in 2010, um, you know, that you couldn't just film on your phone and post it to YouTube, you know, so right, right. <laughs> a lot of technology problems, but we took the company pretty far. I ended up pivoting it into a health and wellness blog which did very well. And then I ultimately sold that. And after I quit athletic training, I got into the um, online marketing space. So, you know, SEO and link building and all that stuff. And then um, I, I didn't really love it. You know, I was very good at the operation side of things still just naturally. So I was like, let me go get an MBA. So I got an <laughs> MBA from the University of Utah and um, it really changed my life in some ways. And I, I wanted to do the entrepreneur thing. I actually studied entrepreneurship and innovation for right. the healthcare space. 
And so I got lucky, got a bunch of um, consulting gigs, but wanted to really work on my own company, which was um, called Random Breakfast. We were trying to do mobile gaming and encouraging people to be healthier, like go out and take a walk. And, you know, I was trying to raise money and I ran a seed fund and I couldn't even get money from my own seed fund. Like I was pitching and I'm like, why I'm making up the rules and I still can't get funding. (laughs) And so it was the most frustrating thing I've ever been a part of. And so I'm going around doing the circuit and, you know, nobody believed that people would walk and play video games. And then Pokemon go comes out a year or so later. And I was like, I told you guys like, you know, and so what happened was, so I shut that down. And then as you know, many entrepreneurial stories don't work out the way you want. And so, you know, life tanked, I ended up having to take a job at Sam's club just to, you know, move life forward. And then I got the opportunity to work at an accelerator. And so I did that for about three years and I loved it, worked with about 300 companies and every single person there was struggling on the fundraising side of things. Um, And then in the middle of that, I became the executive director for Park City Angels. And so I started to watch like people who were actually getting funded with real money, not just like competition funding. Right. And so now I'd been on all three sides. I had been on like the entrepreneur side sucking <laughs> at raising capital. I'd been in the middle phase where I'm like coaching up entrepreneurs. And then now I'm on the deal flow side and like the due diligence side and watching companies getting funded. And so I spent the next year or two just kind of paying attention and watching and taking notes because I had all the data from everybody. Right. And um, one time I was like, we, we, uh, we lost a speaker um, for the accelerator that I was running. And I was like, well, I'll just do one on fundraising. Um, cause I really liked the idea of it. And one of the members in the group was, uh, an angel for Salt Lake city angels. And he sent me a text afterwards and was like, Tim, you have to turn this content into a book. Like this was so well explained and people have no idea. And so I was like, okay, you know, a year, year and a half later, it finally became the book that it is. But that was the journey was like, there's just so many good businesses out there. So many great entrepreneurs who do not realize that they're pitching their businesses wrong. Right, right. Well, I will tell you that out of the 400 shows I have done over the last 15 years, so far, the number one show, the one to beat is Brad Feld and his Mm. book on raising money. So I'm setting the bar pretty high for you. Okay, well, let's let's beat it. (laughs) <laughs> let's let's beat it because uh, you know I went to Brad really for the same kind of reason he had done a a um, presentation actually remotely at uh, you know like a Tampa Bay startup conference and uh, I don't know if you know John Richards but John uh-huh. Richards yep. is on my uh, advisory board and he he has been for five or six years and he kept telling me that I needed to get integrated into the Tampa startup community and. Well, that's another conversation and maybe it'll come out as we talk about the book, but uh, I I was reticent to do that, but I did go to this conference and heard Brad speak. And so I reached out to him. He, he had a book uh, about raising money. So uh, anyway, this has been something that has interested me for a very long time, not only as an entrepreneur who needs uh, to raise money. And, you know, I'm in the unique position that I have been able to fund the growth of my business, uh, you know, pretty significantly, uh, not, not in actual cash, but I've had 35,000 hours of investment from my team. And, That's awesome. 
Yeah. And that takes you a long, long way. Right. Yeah. But now I'm back at this place post COVID, right. Where, where I've got to go back out and get in this grind. Right. And that's how I look at it. And I would love for you to change my mind, right. On, on the grind piece of it. And how, how can I do this so well that it, it, you know, I, I realize you still have to do the numbers and you still have to right. you know, k- kiss a lot of frogs before you find the prince. But yeah, um, what it says in the book, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in life, the only thing worth getting is, you know, something that, you know, doesn't just fall in your lap. Right. That the overnight success. I just in fact, I just put a, a post on LinkedIn this week of how long has your overnight success taken, right? right totally. Truly overnight, right? You know, all the way up to 10 years and plus, and I'm still waiting, right? right. So let's, let's dive into the book itself. And again, the, the premise of the book is that there is a right way and a wrong way to present your business. And, and that has a direct impact on your ability to actually secure investors. Correct. So, yeah. So let's talk about just the process in general for people who uh, have what they think is a great idea, right? And and, uh, all the way up to the person like me who has built out my business really for the last almost four years. And, you know, we had to take a break from from the pandemic. And now we're at this place where we've got to go back out and re-energize the team, the company, the market, right? And we really need capital to do that. So, sure. so what happens uh, when you go from that idea stage? What has to happen to get you to the place where you're ready to do a pitch? Yeah, so the first thing you need to realize, I think, is who you're getting money from, right? So if we're friends, it's much easier to get money from me just because I believe in you, right? Right. I honestly don't even really need to know much about it. I might just need to like the idea, but more I'm invested in you as a person, right? So that money is a lot harder to come by, but it's actually much easier to secure, right? No matter what, because it's like, sure, here's 50 grand. I don't need it. Good luck. Um, The next group, you know, is like really that angel world is where I play. I mean, well, let's take a step. Loans is the easiest way to get money, but it's very difficult sometimes. They're actually almost better 99% of times. If you can manage the loan, pay it off, loans are almost always better capital, um, generally speaking. Going into the investment world, so you get into the angel world and angel investing has changed over time. Before there was a lot of people who would invest in ideas. And this is back like in the 90s, I would say. Right. Um, things have changed so much since then. It's so much easier to get a business off the ground now. Um, it's not that expensive to start something, you know, I mean, full tech development isn't that difficult anymore. So now angels are looking for traction. So if you're just in the idea stage, it's very difficult to get funded. Um, you know, and so, you know, you got to keep that in mind is if you're now, it's, it's not even that people don't like your idea. It's that you're competing against other people whose ideas are further. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, when I was raising capital, you're like, but my idea is so great. And it's like, well, it is, but you know, or it might be, who knows. Um, But (laughs) the guy before you or after you is done a million dollars in sales and raising the same amount of money you are, you know? Right. And so when I think that we forget that we're not the only person in the world um, when we're raising capital. So that's one big thing to keep in mind. 
you know, and then as you go up the chain, venture capital and doing some other things, it gets a lot more difficult, you know, from a traction point of view to get the funding you're looking for. Right. And so I'm going to ask you a question about that because, uh, you know, you talked about the progression, right? And I, I think most entrepreneurs who have, you know, gotten anywhere down that scale of, you know, of being pitch ready, um, at some point in time have used credit cards, you know, MasterCard to pay Visa, Visa to yep. pay payroll, yep. uh, you know, maybe get somebody to give you a loan and uh, you're smart enough to put at least a third of the loan amount away for making payments if the revenue doesn't materialize, right? So right. there are smart ways to do that. Um, you know, I actually, you know, about 50% of the actual cash that has come into the company, you know, my husband and I have put in. And then the rest came from uh, my board members and their friends and family. So I wasn't tapping into my friends. Right. Uh, I had people around me who, because they were involved, that other people would put money in. So uh, we have not yet gone the angel route, but you know, the, the question is, is this a progression or is there a time when it is okay to jump over uh, one of these steps? So if, if there is a small um, private equity firm, obviously not the big ones, but, but there are smaller private equity firms or family offices or you know, again, there are many different options here. Is it either or, or is it a progression? I think it's an and conversation, right? So for example, you mentioned the friends and family that of the, of your board members. Yes. Like if your business is doing well and you are very, like, if you believe that this thing's going to blow up, like, why wouldn't you include them in this round? You know what I mean? Yes. And so like family offices are great. So a lot of people want to avoid their family because they don't want to like, Mm, you know, burn bridges or something along those lines, right. but it's like, they're the ones who know you the best. Right. And so family offices are very similar to angel funds. They typically have more funds, but they very much are just like any other group, but they're very more, they're more lenient, I would say. Um, so if you're going after one, you should go after all of them, you know, and, private equity is a little bit different, but right. So before we get into talking about about private equity, so family offices and angels, if you had to put either of those on a scale of involvement in the business or hands off investment, how do you characterize them? So I would have an I've, angels. I would love to have more involvement in my business because typically it depends on the angel. Right. Um, cause typically they know your industry. That's why they're investing in it. Um, and they're, they're going to be a little bit closer. Whereas a family office, I mean, I could manage a family office's funds and I might not have any background in what you're doing. I just think it's a really interesting space. Um, so I'm more of a manager of a fund versus I came from the industry. I did something. I made my own money. You know what I mean? Got it. Got it. And I, I want to ask you one other question before we go on and talk about the pitch itself. Sure. And <clears throat> that is the, the trend. And, and we used to have a situation, and I would say five to 10 years ago, where uh, an angel investor or even a small private equity firm <clears throat> would only invest in their backyard, 
right? Yep. So when I first started talking to John Richards, of course, I wanted him to invest in my company. Well, turns out John just has his own personal uh, parameters that, you know, he has drawn lines on the map, literally, you know, from mm-hmm. Seattle down to Arizona, Right. And of course, encompassing the whole, uh, you know, Provo, Utah and and that that whole area. And that's where he likes to invest. Right. And so unless I'm going to move my company, which I'm not right. I love Tampa, Florida, uh, you know, which is why he encouraged me to really get to be a part of the local um, the startup community. And again, I don't consider myself a startup. So that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to be in that group. Right. Uh, You know, or you also mentioned accelerators. I've actually applied to a couple of accelerators, but with the caveat with them that, you know, I'm not starting from an idea. I've got a fully baked product that's been in the market for four years. Right. Right. So, you know, we just have to restart the company, which is a a kind of a, a different position. Uh, so let's talk about the, the, the pitch. Well, first I'll let you respond to the, the geographic question. Has that changed or are people still wanting just to invest in their own backyard? Um, the answer to the question is yes. (laughs) Um, some groups it's their thesis that they're only going to invest in the local area. So like you, uh, Park City Angels was very much that it was only Utah for a really long time because Uh they really wanted to see Utah grow. And so you'll see that in these up and coming places like, you know, um, uh, places in like Oklahoma, for example, like they really are focusing on these geographical regions where they're trying to develop something. And right. so they'll get charters put together to invest only in the area. You know, Tampa's probably the same way, I would imagine. Yes. But then what happens is the groups start getting bigger and they're like, well, we want better deal flow. And so they'll start to expand out. So and this is what Park City Angels is doing. Like we'll, we will look, Utah's still our primary focus, but we'll look at other companies that are geographically connected. So Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, Idaho, you know, right. Um, and then we allow the members to bring deals from anywhere. So we've got deals from New York and Oregon and Florida, but it's all because like, while we're still primary focused on Utah, we're also very much wanting to branch out and accept our members and what they're looking for as well. So right. that's still very common um, among certain groups is to stay, have a hyper focus in the area, but also allow the opportunity if a great deal comes by. Got it. So let's talk about the process. So pre, pre-pitch, what, what mm-hmm. do you put into that category? Yeah, so pre-pitch is all of the things that most people don't know that's going on in the pitch. Um, so, for example, one of the things that I tell people to do is not to have um, animations in the slide. Um, you know, like, because for a lot of people, they're not that great at presenting anyways. And if you're going to use animations, you need to be a very skilled presenter. Um, and most people aren't. So that, right. that's one of the things. It's like you mentioned, getting involved in the area that you live in is another area of pre-pitch. Um, putting together the pitch is part of that, but also making sure that you have you know, a really clear one sentence um, description of the company. You have a p- one page paragraph that can explain the company. You have a one pager, like all of the elements that you need for the whole fundraising process, you're putting together before you ever go and actually pitch the business to someone. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's and, a lot more to it than that, but. <laughs> right. Well, and, and being involved in, in the local area is another, another question uh, or something I'd like to, to chat about a little bit, because I was talking to someone the other day about, for instance, one of our audiences for my product uh, happens to be the sports and entertainment business. Mm -hmm. And so I said, you know, out of all of the sports teams that we could go after, right, I would like to go after the Tampa Bay Lightning, not only because they just won their second Stanley Cup, but because they're in our backyard and their owner is very, very active in the in the Tampa startup community. Mm -hmm. Right. So there, there are all kinds of reasons that line up that if we had them as a client, when we go in to pitch a Tampa-based in investor, right, having that in our portfolio, right, would really show strong validation, not only of the product and the concept, because I mean, I can prove it anywhere. Uh, you know, one of our early users of our product was Salt Lake Comic Con, right, oh, yeah. uh, back, back when they still owned the brand. And, uh, you know, but that was when I was trying to get Salt Lake investment in, in our company. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's a really interesting aspect of the, ge the your involvement in your local geography. Do you have test accounts, if it's appropriate, right, in the local region to show how you could then multiply that out simply by applying more marketing money or, you know, how, how are you going to use the funds? So let's talk about the pitch itself. And, and I really appreciate the comment about not incorporating uh, animation into the pitch itself, uh, simply because the pitch deck will be used by people who aren't going to be presented to, right? right. They're, they're going to mm -hmm. look at it after the fact. And one of the things I've done uh, just because the audience is so hard to get to is I've actually recorded my pitch so that if they want to see if they're interested, they can actually listen to that before we have a meeting, right? Yeah, and totally. hear it That's from my perspective. Very new trend as well, mm -hmm. um, and I, I highly recommend it because uh, a one pager doesn't really get to the the personal feeling of the the presentation. Um, it's always better to present in person if you can. But yeah, right. there's a big trend right now of just recording yourself. I don't think you should send it on the first email, but it's not a bad idea. Um, right. There's some strategies involved in that. Um, my day job is helping people raise capital. And so, um, there, yeah, there's some strategies around outreach, but it is a great idea to have yourself recorded as long as it's good. <laughs> as long as yeah, it's good. absolutely. So, you know, there are lots of different, uh, you know, websites and blogs and, and people who have talked about the pitch mm -hmm. and what the pitch needs to include, how many slides, how many points of font, you know, how many words on each slide, you know, are graphics and pictures better than words? right? There's so many different philosophies. So tell us the, in the pitch deck book, what is the right way to do the pitch? Okay. So the best thing you can do is um, it's it start with the problem. We hear this a lot, but what people don't do is connect the problem to themselves. So I want to know how you are involved in this problem. And, and most entrepreneurs actually do not do this. When you connect yourself to the problem, let's say, for example, it's cancer solution. It's like my mom had cancer and she died. So I became a doctor while I was a doctor. This is the things that I've learned. And here's why I'm presenting you this product. Or 
you know, I was hiking and I twisted my ankle and there was no product. Like when you add that personal story, no matter what it is to where you, how you learned about the, the problem, that actually starts the story off very, very well. And so when you're presenting, every slide that you have up there is actually an answer to a question. So for example, why are you here? It's the very, very first question. And that response, well, I'm here because I saw this problem. Does that make sense? Right. Absolutely. So, so I've got an A plus so far because that's how my pitch starts. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So a lot of people miss that. And I think it's it's very disingenuous. It's when even if you are doing a problem slide, for example, like let's go back to my ankle thing. What if I said just only there are 90 million people who hurt their ankles in the world? And you're like, okay, well, that's just data point. But if you're like, look, I was hiking exactly. Mount Kilimanjaro and hurt my ankle. And also there's 90 million people. That brief connection is like, oh man, that must've sucked, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that it's a very, very short thing that people could add to their pitch and they usually don't. Well, I had an interview a couple of weeks ago. It was it was one of my most fun uh, interviews ever. And it was the story of a woman who had gone into Silicon Valley into a room full of men, you know, all, mm -hmm. all in their 30s, you know, alpha male. Uh, you know, you, you knew they drove really cool cars. And, you know, uh, anyway, so she told this story, but she was pitching a tampon delivery service. Mm. <laughs> and she's like in, in the first five minutes, like she could tell that there was just nothing was going to be easy to get these guys. And then one of the guys, she actually had a stack of tampons there, you know, obviously wrapped, but, sure. but one of the guys picks it up and throws it to, you know, the lead guy and says, I dare you to open it. <laughs> and, and it just broke the ice because when you're pitching something that the other person can't possibly experience or hasn't like, you know, cancer is a great example of most people know someone, you know, who has had cancer, maybe not the ankle, uh, you know, example. Now sure. I, I'm really fortunate because I am selling a, a piece of travel technology and everyone I talk to has booked online travel sometime in the last 25 years. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. has had some level of experience. So how important it is it to not only connect yourself to the problem, but the people who are listening to the pitch to draw them in. It's not as important because you're going to follow up with traction and things later. But if you can, and you know, for example, like in the, the, the example you described, if the pain point was more targeted at them, like you don't want to go and buy tampons at the store. Right. right. <laughs> like, that's like, you're right. I don't. And like, look at your behavior right now. Like you don't even want to touch the product. You right. Know? And so it's like, look, what if you could just be on a subscription model and help your wife out or your girlfriend or whoever, right, um, right. or your mom, you know, like, and it's like, yeah, that's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, And if at the end of the day, she not only got the money, but she created a, a blog that became one of the biggest blogs, you know, about talking about personal problems that, you know, that are tough to talk about in, you know, in mixed company. So oh. uh, anyway, it was really, really interesting to me how she turned that around. Um, so what, what, do you do? And first, I want to mention that your book has so many practical examples. You know, you start the example decks on page 146, and you don't finish them until page 249. Okay, yeah. this is such 
uh, a huge amount of value in what you're sharing. So uh, thank you so much for, for being willing to open the kimono on that. Cause I think a lot of people, if they can just see examples and, and get their arms around what constitutes a good one and what constitutes a bad one, right. That they will be so much uh, further ahead in being able to tweak what they're doing. So can we talk a little bit about length? Because yep. uh, it's hard to fit everything into 10 pages. I, I understand why, you know, the magic number might be 10 or 12. What is your magic number? So my magic number is the least amount of slides to convey what you're trying to accomplish. I've seen, and the goal is 10 to 12 minutes. Um, I've seen really, really good 50 page slide decks because they're moving through slides, maybe like examples or company profiles that they're working with and why they need them. And they're just moving through them when in, you know, two or three seconds, right? Right. Um, but it, it just shows either their traction or the product working or whatever, but they just move through it quickly. And I've also seen really good six page slide decks, you know? And so I suggest in the book, if you, a rule of thumb is one slide per page, not including a summary or, you know, final slide. That's about average is about one slide per, per minute of presentation. Right. And so, but again, if you need more slides, use them, just realize like, for example, if you have three problems that you're going after, it's better to split those up over three slides because I want one topic to be covered on each, um, each slide, you know, so that you're, we're not getting confused. Got it. You know, same thing with the solution. It's like, if you have three problem statement slides, then you should have three solution pro uh, statement slides as well. Got it. Or problem and solution on the same slide. You should never do them on the same slide. Ah, interesting. Yeah, because my brain is not capable of differentiating when someone's speaking um, problem and solution. And then if you went problem and solution, you almost went backwards. And so you're like, wait, which one are we talking about now? So really what Got you want to do is separate the two concepts so that you, I'm either stuck on the problem or stuck on the solution, you know, it, as a men mentally. Okay. So I got a B minus on that one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but I, but I have the opportunity to go back and change it. Yeah, no, actually I've got three problems on one slide and three solutions on the next slide, but I'm going to rework that. There you go. Okay, so let's talk about, okay, you've, you've actually hit it out of the park in, in the presentation. You've gotten engagement. You've gotten tell me more, right? Which mm -hmm. to me, tell me more is the ultimate compliment, right? Because you 100%. don't have to answer every question in the pitch deck, nor should well, you. And you don't want to. Yeah. You want them to be like, so tell me more or let's take a meeting. I mean, the goal, and this is what I think a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, you think that when you're pitching, you're getting funded that day. And that's just not true. Right. I've, I've heard of it happening once. I've never seen it in the thousands of pitches I've seen. It's always, well, let's take another meeting and follow up with this person and learn more about them and go into due diligence. And then, you know, 30 days later, maybe you write a check. Right. Right. So what about post-pitch? So you've, yep. you've gotten the interest, you've gotten the tell me more, you've actually gotten the, the meeting set up. Yep. Then what? So the key here really is being responsive. So a lot of times you're dealing with, so like in the angel network, there's like 12, 13 people who might be interested in the deal. Um, and they're all asking you millions and millions of questions. If you are slow to respond, it says a huge um, 
red flag about who you are. Like, I can't really trust this person. They're not answering my questions at a speed. Like, this is one of those times where I have a rule personally, it's no email goes unanswered for less than 24 hours, right. unless something crazy is happening. Like, this is one of those ones where you should probably answer within five minutes of it coming to you if you can, right. you know, um, because again, it, you're just showing that like, I'm available, I'm here for you. This is very important. Um, if, if it's taking you two days to respond, then clearly it's not important to you. Um, or that's what you're saying to the investors that, you know, right. they're not important. And I've seen that I've seen deals where they were very interested and the person just didn't respond at a timely rate and they didn't get funded. And that was the only reason. Wow. Yeah. So it's things like that, like being available, um, making sure that if you do have an application, if things change within the company, you're keeping that thing updated. Like, so we use gust, um, Right. And so keeping those things updated, you know, and then continuing to network outside the meeting. So if you meet some cool people and you're like, hey, is there other people that I can communicate with? You know, things right. like that. Well, and it's interesting that you mentioned Gust because these two accelerators that I applied to here locally uh, are using Gust. Mm -hmm. And so I went in and built my profile there. And then I noticed that I can open that profile up to other people, whether it's angel networks or, or other accelerators and other, other geographies. So do you recommend doing that once you have your, your pitch deck put together? Yeah, I think Gus is a great tool. Um, the key thing here is, and this goes back to kind of pre-pitch, it's really about relationship development, even on the investment side. So cold applications through Gus can work, um, but I mean, just keep in mind, I get like a hundred emails a month from people I've never met before. Right. And if it's a Utah company, I'll meet with them because that's the charter of the group that I'm with. But at the same time, it's like, I mean, I can't read them all, you know, like, of course but if, it, if, if that relationship, even the minimal is, Hey, um, you know, Kevin applied, can you take a look? And you're like, absolutely. You know? Right. So it's just that little introduction can make a huge difference in the world that we live in. So is there uh, a, and I'm, I call them door busters, right? So mm -hmm. the, the person who comes out of the blue, who you've never met, who finds some way to get your attention. Yeah. Has, has there ever been anything like that? And I'll give you an example. I had a client that I was very interested in, in Dallas, Texas, and I actually had met with them, but I wasn't getting any, any forward movement, but we had a really great solution for them. And I could tell that what was holding them back is they thought it was going to take a long time to implement mm -hmm. our solution. Well, one of our, our claims to fame is that you can go from, configuring our tool to being live in an hour. So I sent him this beautiful hourglass timer. And, and when he got that, and I wrote a handwritten note uh, that uh, commented about a story he had told about his early days when someone took a chance on him. Right. Mm -hmm. And he, he wrote me an email that said best doorbuster ever. And I got the meeting, right? Nice. So ha has there ever been anyone who's done anything out of the ordinary like that that's gotten your attention? No, I totally wish they would. I love stories like this. Um, a friend of mine that's raising capital in Arizona, and she's on the sales side and was trying to sell to this big, big organization who should have never taken her call. And she said something along the lines of like, 
what can we do for you? And they're like, well, send us like a cocktail maker or something like that, like something totally arbitrary. Right. And so she did and it got in the meeting and it, and it ultimately turned into a deal for them. But um, sales is such a fun world when you can do things like that. But if someone wants to do that for me, I'll take it. But I've never <laughs> <had that> <laughs> well, watch your mail, Tim. Yeah, you, yeah. So you never we're know what it might... out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, cool. that, that brings us to, you know, kind of, kind of the end of our, our formal interview, but Tim, I would love for you to share with our audience. If, if someone does want to get in touch with you, uh, whether they want help on, on their pitch, whether they want help fundraising and you and I should probably have an offline discussion about that because uh, we really do need help in, in my organization right now. It's the perfect time for us to go back out with our, our product and it's fully baked, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm in a really, really great place, but for the, for our listeners, if they want to get in touch with you or they want to follow you, how do they do that? Yeah. So the best way, if you just want to follow me LinkedIn, Tim L. Cooley, um, that's the easiest way. And then if you do want help with the pitch deck, um, you know, my email is Tim L. Cooley at Gmail. So um, really easy to get a hold of me. My, most of my stuff is branded Tim L. Cooley. So and what does the L right. stand for? Leonard. That's my middle name. <laughs> okay, great. Well, yeah. you know, some people just adopt a middle initial because their name is too common, right? Sure. And, you know, I tell them, you know, throw an X or a Z in there somewhere. And, and uh, you know, that usually grants you that brand. <laughs> so totally. you, learn, you learn that early on. Well, that is great. Tim, thank you so, so much for being on the show today. And again, we've been talking to Tim Cooley, who is the author of the Pitch Deck book, How to Present Your Business and Secure Investors. And it's available not only in hardcover and, and paperback over all the normal places where you can buy books, but it's also available on Kindle and audiobook. And, and I highly, highly, highly recommend, uh, you know, again, I think the audiobook would be great, but because so much of this content includes these pitch deck examples, you're going to want to get the hardcover of this book and, uh, you know, use it to grade yourself, uh, you know, kind of as I did in real time of, of how I approached my pitch deck. And then if you are interested in taking it to that next level, I'm sure Tim would love to help you. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. This has been awesome and you are great. Terrific. Well, thanks so much, Tim. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas, inspiration, innovation with Chickie Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm.